another episode behind the vinyl, behind the vinyl with Darren and Nicholas. Um, already behind the vinyl, um, Nicholas over there, and all the way from California, we have Jacoby from Papa Roche. Hey, mate. What's up, guys? How you guys doing? Good, 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 good to see you. Really good to see you. Um, Papa Roach, Papa Roach. Um, well, Sweden loves Papa Roach. You've been over here a lot over the last few years. Yeah, man. We've uh, we've been you know ever since we started touring, coming up to Sweden and doing shows, and we've had some we've had some slamming slamming shows up in Sweden. So, you know, got to come up there and rock my people, dude. Plus, I got a little, plus I got a little Swedish blood as well. So, which is always a good thing. A homecoming. <laughs> so um, we're going to talk about uh, Infest coming up for uh, the the twenty year anniversary. Actually, you passed the twenty year anniversary because it came out in April twenty fifth. Yeah, man, it's wild, dude. I'm try- it, it trips me out to to like reflect back on those times and you know where I was as a person and as a you know as a creative individual and and just looking back on those times, it's like, man, it just seemed like yesterday, but then it's like, it doesn't at all, man. It seems like forever ago. So it's, it's wild, man. Yeah. Does it make you feel old? You know, sometimes it does, man. Sometimes I like, <laughs> I start to like talk about back in the day. And then I'm like, I, I find myself talking about back in the day, back in the day. I'm like, oh, man, I've been talking about back in the day a lot. Like that's putting some years on me, man. But you know, <laughs> rock and roll keeps you young though, brothers, you know this. Absolutely. Yes. I, I got a, um, my, my youngest is 13 years old and, and I find myself saying when I was a boy, this happened and, and under the, <laughs> under her breath every time now, I'm like, when I was a boy and she's like 2000 years ago, every single time. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> so, um, okay. So let's, let's dig into Infest. Infest was, um, obviously it was a massive record. You were 24 years old when this come out. Um, you guys, from what I understand, you guys were kind of hitting, hitting the road in the vans, kind of slugging it out. Um, when oh, actually in, in the studio, did you realize you were on something special when you were writing this record? Um, I don't know. I think, you know, when leading up to the record deal, we had been turned down by like every record company in the business. Uh, you know, everything from like metal blade to, um, uh, Century Media to Roadrunner to the big majors like you know Warner Brothers and um, Dream. I mean everybody, you know. And so we finally ended up getting a, a demo deal with Warner Brothers, and we went in to cut the demos for um, what would to become Infest. And the record company fired the A and R that signed us to this demo deal, and so we were like, "Man, what gives?" Like I just. It just felt like every door we came to was just getting slammed in our face. And, and so we felt like we had something special, but nobody, nobody else in the business felt the same. And so it was, it was, it was a constant struggle. But then when, when we finally got a record deal and we were in the studio and we were recording, it's like, I think it started to take that turn. I think we were, there was a certain amount of self-delusion with us. Like we thought we were going to be the biggest thing on the planet, you know, and then Everybody else kept telling us no, and then eventually tell we were for a hot minute. Yeah. <laughs> My name's Kobe Dick, Mr. Dick, it's your name. 
I'm I'm wondering around this time, um, uh, when you're recording the album and so on, and before that, I mean, what kind of music were you listening to around that time? Oh man! So at that time, we were really big into uh, a band called Snapcase. They were this group from uh, New York. They were a kind of hardcore band. Uh, love them. Love Wu Tang Clan, Social Distortion. Um, at this time as well, listening to Corn uh, was a was another big influence. Deftones was a really big influence on our band. Honestly, Deftones was like that was the band that I was going to the shows in the mosh pit going off you know so those were like some of our contemporaries well not our contemporaries at the time but the people that we were listening to and then you know fast forward years later those are our, those are our friends now just trust me yeah <laughs> cool I, I kind of more saw you guys as like a definitely the hardcore element in you guys back in the early days as well oh yeah most definitely i feel like you know pulling pulling from these different styles of music that we love so much hardcore uh punk rock metal music, hip hop music. It just, it made for this stew of something that was, you know, for us, we felt at the time original. But also, I mean, you, you as a front man and a singer, who did you look up to when it came to, you know, how you should act on stage and, and things like that? Was there like one guy that you really looked up to? Uh, you know, young, Young, it was uh, Mike Patton from Faith No More. Mr. All right. That was like one of my, he was one of my favorites and he was just a fucking spaz. You know, he would just get nuts on stage and I always just thought, found him really intriguing and it just, his stage presence was kooky and, you know, but then it was like, then on the other hand, there was that Freddie Mercury, you know, who was like this could command an audience, you know? And so I, I, I kind of, picked and poached from these different guys and, and Chino also from the Deftones again was a, another really big influence on me not the way I sounded but just the energy that I would try to bring to the stage you know those, those, those guys were really big influences on me cool excellent um, so that, that demo you cut from what I understand you had um, like Last Resort was on there Broken Home was on there um, what else was on there? We actually also had uh, this song called She Loves Me Not on the demo deal yep. for Fest, which ended up not even being on the record. We saved it uh, for, the, for the second album, uh, Love, Hate, Tragedy. Um, yeah, but we cut these demos and, and Warner Brothers passed on it. And we were just like, honestly, we weren't even thinking about trying to get a, get a record deal at that point. We were like, well... I remember the phone call that day that, that Warner Brothers passed and we were like, man, you know what? We're just going to get in the van. We're going to press these, these EPs up and we're going to go out and we're going to continue to pound the pavement just like we've always done since the beginning and just keep building this thing. And uh, we were in the process of mixing that demo and that's when we got a call from uh, uh, DreamWorks. DreamWorks Records. Yeah, DreamWorks called us and uh, this guy by the name of Ron Handler came down and, and was just into it. Changed our plans, thankfully. <laughs> Matt, whoever whoever turned you away at uh, Warner is kind of kicking themselves, you know. That's uh, especially with 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 those songs on it. You know, you got two songs yeah. that were uh, on at eight million on probably nine million selling records, and then a three to four million selling records with with your follow up. It's, yeah, it's crazy. Man, it, uh, it's it's funny, but you know what? It is what it is. Showbiz.
studio, um, uh, producer, you, you, you go in there with Jay. Was that your choice or was that uh, DreamWorks choice to put you in with Jay? Um, so our manager at the time, Brett Berg and Gary Avila, had introduced us to Jay. We stopped by the studio and had a meeting with him because he was the guy that, that got the deal for the, for the demo deal. And so we just hit it off with Jay. And the A&R for the, uh, this guy, Jeffrey Weiss, was just, he was like, I want to put these guys in the studio, but I don't want to mess with what they're doing too much. I want to, you know, let's clean it up a little bit. Let's maybe tempo map the songs, mess with the arrangements a little, but let's, we don't want to go in and like have, have the band rewrite all the music they've done. We feel like we just want to get an authentic, you know, good sounding, good tones type of album. And, and when they told us that, we were like, oh yeah, that's what we want to do. Cause we did, we did, we've been playing these songs live already. So it wasn't something that we were like really honestly willing to go, all right, well, we'll rearrange it or I'll rewrite this chorus. They were just like, let's get this, let's just get this on tape and put it out. That was awesome. And Jay did a great job. Jay, Jay did a fantastic job. And you obviously stayed with him as well for a yeah. little bit too. Yep. Yeah, we, uh, we did, we did, we did infest. Well, we did the demo of infest with them. And then we did infest with him. But then after that, we worked with uh, Brennan O'Brien on the, on the follow-up. Mm-hmm. And then we went and worked with Howard Benson. But then we ended up coming back and working with Jay Baumgartner again uh, 10 years later. Yeah. That's a came full circle. How long were you in the studio for uh, infest? Um, so a lot of, the, a lot of the, the work, the real work that we did was here in Sacramento we were just writing and doing it like that. Like in this, we had this place called the meat locker. It literally was an old meat packing uh, plant where, you know, like they hang the meat in the refrigerator. Like we practiced and we practiced in one of those. And that's where we wrote most of the music um, for the album. And then we ended up going down to LA and I think we were in the studio for like 60 days and we we took our time, you know, it was like, we had the, we had the funds to do it. The record deal we got, like we got some of the, the last of the amazing record deals at that time, you know? <laughs> and so we got to like kind of live the dream when it came to that. We got, you know, we all stayed at this apartment called the Oakwoods and, you know, oh, we're the, like, oh, God, we made it. You, you know what I'm talking about? The famous <laughs> Cokewoods. Yeah, exactly. Yes. The famous <laughs> Cokewoods. So we stayed there and, and, you know, right down the way, we'd go to the studio every day. And, and, and for us, it was just like, you know, two months in that place was like paradise.
was there a lot of partying going on? Oh yes. So much. <laughs> yeah, we were, I was drinking like a fish. That's honestly like where a lot of my drinking really kind of took off was after we got a record deal and we were like in the studios, it was like, yo, send the runner for another bottle or another case of beer or another, you know, and it just really, it was fun. It was, it was honestly, it was a great time because we had worked for so for like seven years or six years as an independent band, you know, just, just making ends meet and just getting by. And so to finally like have a little, like, like, you know, the boot, like taken off my head and we're like, cool, just send for some dinner and some vodka, you know? And so uh, that's when, yeah, we had a good time, man. We had a lot of parties at that studio. I have, I partied so hard at that studio. Eventually years later, I got banned from the studio. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but doing that, I mean, could you, could you sense kind of in a way that you were heading in a certain direction with, with, with the partying and all that? Oh, I mean, a lot of people around me were starting to kind of go, Hey man, like you okay, dude, you all right. <laughs> yeah. like, you know, but I was like, yeah, I'm fine. Fucking selling millions of records. I'm, you know, <laughs> I'm, we're killing it. People are showing up to the shows. Of course I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it, it caught up to me eventually, but, uh, it, you know, there, it wasn't all bad stories. You know, there was some really great times out there with my friends and celebrating, like we got to do, uh, new year's Eve on MTV, um, the year 2000. So it's about to turn 2001, the year of the Y2K bug. Remember that shit? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So we're in Times Square, right? The ball's about to drop. And I'm just looking at, you know, looking at my wife going, Holy fuck. Like, how did we end up here? Uh, you know, like it just was, it was just one of those wild rides for us that uh, it took us to so many awesome places and so many great times, but also, you know, some dark times too. When, before we dig into a couple of songs, when did those dark times start to come? Like, uh, did you, you know, was it, was it that constant grueling hitting the road and supporting this record? Yeah, I just don't, I don't think we were mentally prepared for the, what we were getting into, to be honest. We were just like, you know, we weren't afraid of going out and working hard and touring and stuff, but we didn't really, we didn't prepare ourselves for, all right, you're about to be on the road for 24 months and not see your family for, you know, months on end. And that, that got really tough on us and just being pushed and pulled in all these different directions and, and just not feeling necessarily uh, all there because I was, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the partying and, and all that got, it really just caught up to us. And I think after about, you know, 18, 19 months of touring set in, it really started to kind of weigh on the relationships within the band. And, you know, our, we were just, we were, we were having a tough time. We needed a break, honestly, but we just kept going and going and going and going. But did you feel like, I mean, at that time, did any of you feel like just like, you know, fuck it, we'll just leave it here and go home? Uh, yeah, there were a couple, there were honestly a couple times when I remember we were in New Jersey and we were doing a show and our drummer was having problems with his hands. Um, and that's not good when your drummer's like, he's, he kept dropping sticks and he couldn't hold on to his drumsticks because he had been out on the road for so long. Right. And it was just like wear and tear. And so he's having a tough time back there halfway through the set. Um, he bails off stage and leaves us on stage. And we're just like, what the fuck dude? Like our drummer is nowhere to be found. And we got a crowd full of people. What, you know, and we had to bail on, on the audience. And that was like, 
really tough. That was like a, that was a hot moment. You know, we came back to the tour bus. It was like, we were ready to fist fight, you know, and it was, wow. it was a blowout. And, you know, we had a few moments like that through this where we were just like at, at our fucking wits end. I went and watched a old, we were going through old footage and there's this, there's this footage of me in the back of the tour bus and I'm, and I'm singing along to this, uh, it was Ozzy, Mama, I'm Coming Home. And I'm packing my bag and I'm kind of like down on my knees in the hallway and I'm packing my bag and you could just see from this footage that I was just, I was no longer there. There was this like busted, broken, demonic version of myself it, it, there. And I was like, whoa, dude, you didn't, you didn't look like you were okay at all. Like I was watching myself just going, ooh, homie needed a break. <laughs> yeah. Man, God. Um, so you went on, uh, you went on, you've sold in excess of 7 million records of that record. Um, and you nominated for Grammy as well. Yeah. Um, which is, which is pretty great. Did you go to the Grammys? Uh, did not go to the Grammys. We were too busy on tour. You're like, yeah, <laughs> on tour. I'm like, it's the fucking Grammys, man. <laughs> yeah, we didn't go. As I look back, I'm like, man, I really wish we could have, because we've not, we haven't been nominated since. So. Should have taken the opportunity when we got it. <laughs> do, do you remember, do you have any recollection of um, when you heard that you've sold the first million records of that album? Oh, man. So I believe it was, we were out on tour with Korn at this time, and we got plaques presented to us, and I was just over the moon, blown away. And that was, that was one of those moments I had to pinch myself like, Oh, like that's, I have it in, I think I have it in my garage. My first platinum album. I, I, I brought this one out. This is the triple platinum one right here. Nice. Yeah. I, I moved about five years ago and I used to have them all hung up in my old house. And when I moved, I just, I took them all down. But now as we're going back through and like t reminiscing on these years, I'm like going back, pulling out all this old nostalgia and this, this one, I was like, I got to bring this one up, dude. So <laughs> I put that one on the wall again. Your beats and your 
So, um, uh, first single off the record was Last Resort, um, which just blew you globally up. Um, talk us through that a little bit, that, that explosion and, and how that song was received. Yeah, man. So just to give a little history on the song, we, I remember exactly where I was here in this house in Sacramento. I'm oh, sorry. I was at Tobin's house in Vacaville and he was playing the piano and I heard this piano riff and I was like, that's fucking sick, dude. Let's put that on guitar. See what it sounds like on guitar. So we put it on guitar, wrote this track. Our manager heard the, heard the riff. It was like, dude, you guys need to work on that. He called it a noodle. He's like, you need to work on that noodle. And uh, Jerry just reminded me the other day about the song as well. I wrote the lyrics for Last Resort. It, they were on another song that we had written at the time. And then the band wrote this music. And I was like, oh, man, what if I like brought these lyrics over onto this song and see what would happen? And that's how Last Resort became. And, and we, we, we really felt like we had something special at that point. Um, and then we got the deal. We did a show in San Francisco at Maritime Hall, and it was a radio convention. So all the, the programmers from America came to San Francisco and, you know, go to different showcases or whatnot. And we had a showcase that night and, and uh, we performed. The whole industry was in the house and we had a like epic show that night. It was kind of, you know, close to hometown. So a lot of our, you know, our true core fan base was in the house and we just devastated it. And after that day, it was just like on the radio throughout America, it just spread like wildfire. And it, you know, it was just one accolade after the other, it was one award after another, it was one, you know, recognition after another, it was one, another top 10. Oh, now you're top five. Now you're the number one song. Now you've been on fucking TRL so long with your video that you have to go on to TRL with a sledgehammer and break the videotape of Last Resort because they played it too much, you know? And it was just like, <laughs> if I could go back and experience that again, I just, <laughs> I wonder what I would, you know, I wonder what I would do. I wonder what I would say. I wonder how I would, I would handle it. But it was just that fucking rocket ship ride to just, to everywhere. <laughs> but but it's also a song with a song that that you know it's it's some dark subject matters. Yeah, man, in that song. Yeah, so I'm I had a friend that I lived with. I moved out when I was 17, and my friend that I was a roommate with uh, tried to kill himself, and that was really traumatic for me. And he ended up having to go to a mental hospital. I had to move out, get another place to live, and it was like I lost this 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 friend of mine. And I mean, he, he didn't die. You know, he, he, he wasn't able to kill himself, which thank God. Um, but it was, it just was traumatic on me and all my friends, our whole circle friend circle, because he was really close with the guys in the band as well. And so when it, when I was writing, I just, I really started on infest was starting to dig into my, my feelings and my emotions and my childhood and, and things that I had gone through and taking these like dark subjects and put them in it, putting them into music. Because before Infest, I would never really speak of my, my true emotions or my feelings. You know, it was just more kind of random, random lyrical content. But this one, you know, especially with Last Resort, it just like we hit, we struck a chord with people. And, and then we toured around on that record and met so many people, thousands upon thousands upon thousands still to this day that tell us, they'll come to the shows, they'll write us letters tell us how much that song means to them or how it saved their, like literally like that song saved my life. And I was like, 
fuck, man, let's, if I could just honestly, like with my career and, and what we've done, like this was our first song. It's like, at this point, like if I had to hang up the towel and be like, all right, cool, mission accomplished, I could be cool with that because it just the positive influence and the positive effect that the song has had on just the individual's lives is enough. Like all the accolades and success and record sales and stuff, that's cool shit. But when I hear that it's like fucking bringing people out of some darkness, to me, that's like, and still to this day, man, that's like, we just keep throwing a lifeline out to the people with this song. And I, I just feel so fucking grateful to, to be able to have that as part of our story. That's killer. Cut my life into pieces This is my last resort Suffocation No breathing Don't give a fuck if I cut my arm
another song, Broken Home. That's another really personal song for you as well. Yeah. I, uh, we were writing the record and, and I had, I would record the band, um, the band practices on a boom box, this little boom box. And I would go in on my breaks and go out to the car and work on the music. And so I remember I was at, uh, this, this job I had at an air force base. I was a janitor at a hospital and on my, on my work break, I go out there and start writing lyrics. And I started, uh, writing these lyrics for broken home, you know, as, as, a, as I was like 20, 22 years old when I, when I, when I wrote that song and it was just after I reconnected with my father, I hadn't seen him in like, uh, 12 years, I think at the time. And so it was one of those things that I just, I felt like I just had to write about. I had to like kind of rest, get these emotions out and, you know, in my adult life, reflect upon that and find some sanity in it. And that was, you know, one of the things too, about the band was, uh, Tobin, our bass player, he came from a broken home. I came from a broken home. Um, our drummer, Dave Buckner, he came from a broken home. His dad ended up in prison, dying in prison, you know? And so we, we all kind of had this bond of this like early childhood, early childhood brokenness and, and music that connected us. And it was just like one of those tracks again, that really, that just, that, that built the bond of us as, as creators stronger. Well, is it is it easier? Not not easier, but does it come easier to write about harder, darker stuff than say happier, always. fun stuff? Always, it's always right. easier, man. Because it's like it's just you can't you break it down. Like back in the day, to the blues music, it's that's where it was coming from. The roots of rock and roll music, that's what it was, man. It was it was it was your struggle or your your brokenness or your your pain put into music and, and it's this healthy way to, to, to exercise your demons. I mean, they say like people in that play metal music and play hard rock and punk, like this aggressive aggro music. It's, it's healthy for us. It's healthy yeah. for us to do this shit because it's like, there's a rage inside. And if we keep that low grade rage inside, it's going to fucking destroy us. And so we found, you know, this, this, this music that was ah, like, it, it was necessary, man. It's, and it's, it's just so rad that, you know, I, I, I found it as a kid and, and I'm still chasing it to this day. But is there, is cool. there ever, is, is there ever any times where you, um, like it, it, you regurgitate those emotions from writing a song like that? Um, you know, it's, uh, it's interesting as I, as I get older and, and as I write more songs, and I go in cycles, right? I'll go, we'll go right for like a year and then we'll go out on the road and we'll tour for a year and a half. And then I'll go experience life and have some fucking gnarly shit go down or me fuck my life up in some ridiculous, stupid way. And I got to get myself out of this hellhole. Like I find myself, if it's not my life, that's, that's, that's a little bit in shambles. It's somebody else around me or somebody really close to me. And I feel that that it's important to to tell those stories because I don't know, man. Rock is just we're filled with we're the misfits, man. We're the freaks. We're the kids that's you know kind of we're on the outside of all the circles and 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 we needed a home and and some for some of us rock and and punk and metal like the, the people that we gravitated to those those became our families, you know. And so P Roach, like these dudes are my brothers, man. Straight up, like yeah, we even fight like brothers, like yeah. For, 
mentioned that you you weren't at all prepared for this success um the goofy question but i mean if you would have had the chance to go back and give your younger self some advice would what would the that advice have been for you know um meeting that success of selling millions seven million records yeah you know i i've i've thought about that a few times like what i would what would i say to my younger self And my younger self was so fucking stubborn and so <laughs> just set in my ways that I was just, I had it fucking figured out. And you know, step the fuck away, step back. I ain't going to take your advice. I got this. And, <laughs> and so I'd probably just save my breath and be like, all right, well, good luck, bud. See you on the other side. Because <laughs> I know you're going to fucking listen. <laughs> Unfortunately. 
Yeah. Well, what, what what about the flip side? You're a father of father of three. Yeah. And and incredibly close to your kids. Yeah. Um, it it must be interesting now. Like, um, it must be great for them having someone uh, like yourself, a little bit outside of the the stereotypical father mold, uh, guiding them through their life. Can you? Are you experiencing something through them and them experience through you? Oh, yeah, man. You know, being a father has definitely evolved the way that I approach everything in my life, to be honest. And uh, in, in, in a lot of good ways, I feel. And the relationship that I've been able to build with my boys over the years and, you know, they've been able to travel with me and kind of see life from a different perspective. And I, and I think that's important. Um you know, I, I've also struggled a lot with being gone so much. And, you know, sometimes I'll talk with my kids. I'm like, you know, do you, res-? I've asked my kids straight up, like, do you resent me for being gone all the time? Do you, do you, are you mad at me? And they're like, th- their answer to me at the time was, you know, we're not, we're not mad at you. We don't resent you. We just get, we get sad. We miss you. Yeah. And, 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 you know, and it's, but it's also important to, to, uh, to do what you love and and to follow your your passion because in this life like if you just I, I want to teach my kids if you if you just get stuck in this 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 wheel of you're just not I guess feeling like you're fulfilling your purpose life can get real real monotonous and dull and dark and you know I just I uh so I keep chasing chasing this dream out here you know and my kid, my boy Jagger, my middle son, he loves music, loves metal music, loves punk music, loves hip hop. He plays drums. He's been playing drums since he was like, since he could tap and beatbox. So like two years old, three years old, and now he's 15 and he's shredding. He loves, his favorite thing to do is play along with Slipknot. That's like right now, that's his, that's his deal, man. He's playing, he's do, he's got his double kick going and he loves it. You know, my older son, he's a, uh, he's not really, doesn't want to pursue music at all. Um, but, uh, he loves music and my little guy, like, shit, I give him a microphone right now and he'll just go for it. He'll set a show off right now, six years old. Let's go. You know, and, uh, so it, it's been real cool, man. We actually just, uh, shot like a music video type thing, like a at home quarantine music video with the, that's, so, that's so cool, man. That is so cool. That video. Yeah. yeah. It was fun. I wanted to get my, my older son. I was trying to get my older son in it. He's like, I don't want to be in it, dad. I'm like, well, can you, can you hold a camera? Can you just videotape it for us then? He's my camera, man, him and my wife. Yeah, that was, that was a great time. But yeah, man, this, uh, this, this uh, rock and roll circus of being a father and a front man, it's like, it's, it's like wearing two hats, but it's, it's the life that we chose and, and the life that I'm living. And, and uh, I got some good kids and I got a, I, and more importantly, like, my wife, she just holds it down, man. She's a badass. Like if, if I didn't have a wife that was kicking ass like her, like, I don't know what my, my life would look like because man, right. I got friends, <laughs> I've got friends in bands, you know, that have, that when they go away on tour, they don't know if the house is burning down. You know what I mean? Right. So <laughs> it's like, it's good to know that the house is not burning down when I'm on tour. <laughs> shout out to, shout out to Kelly Shattuck. Woo-hoo. <laughs> she's, probably, she's in the other room. I think she's in the shower. <laughs> Hi, girl.
let's let's uh, touch on one more song uh, between angels and insects. Let's talk us through that a little bit. Oh yeah, man. So at the time um, of writing this song, for me, I was on this kind of spiritual spiritual journey, this spiritual hunt. And uh, there was a movie called Fight Club, and uh, there was a there was a line in it that I lifted from the movie, and uh, it said something about the things you own own you, right? And and that just really that really hit it just hit me because as a kid I didn't grow up as a materialistic type of person. Uh, my family was very poor. We you know we I was homeless when I was born. You know, we didn't, we, we lived in a van, we lived in a tent. We eventually lived in like, I'm no joke, like a teepee for real. Like for the first three, four years of my life, it was bounce around to these kind of odd places. I didn't have television until I was like uh, 10 years old. And so I didn't grow wow. up with TV and I didn't have those type of things to influence me. And, and so as I, you know, my mom got remarried and, and I came into this like, you know, kind of like more modern version of life where I had television and I was like doing that type of stuff. Um, I changed a bit and I, I recognized that in my, in my early twenties and, and, and I had to kind of come to a place again where I was like, you know, all the fools know you can have all the money in the world, but it doesn't, it doesn't make you happy and you can't take it with you when you die. So why make that your complete focus of your life? And so as I approach my life and, and what I do with Papa Roach, the, uh, money and success isn't always the, isn't always this, it's not the centerpiece to, to what we do, because I feel like if you use that as your North star, it's like fucking fuck off, man. Like there's, there's plenty of music out there doing that for you. And, uh, it's just for, for me, I feel like if I approach life with a money first attitude me first attitude it's just it's fucked man so that was the message that i want to put in there you know and uh, it's a great reminder you know as i as i find myself sometimes feeling selfish and self-centered i go yo man like it's not a lot not a lot not all about the the greenbacks you know it's all about having some sanity and some happiness there's no money there's no possessions, only obsession I don't need that shit Take my money, take my obsession
shout out to Jamie Jaster. Um, he yeah. Had, he had uh, Head recently on his podcast and, uh, and Head mentioned three bands that um, he absolutely never wanted to follow because their front men are so good. Uh, bands were Hatebreed, bands were Limp Biscuits, and bands were Papa Roach. What do you... <laughs> What do you think when you hear about that? You know, your your live show is so so strong, and 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 uh, what do you think when you hear your your, your now contemporaries like the Corns and the Deftones and people like that um, grouping you in with them? That's that's it's an honor, you know. I think it's uh it's it's really cool to for people to respect us in that regard. Um, but that's the goal. That's what I'm going for. You know, like. <laughs> That's the thing, right? It's like you want to make your mark. You want people to remember um, the legacy of of who you are and what you, what you bring to music. And so, it's a uh, it's another like notch. Like, all right, cool. We're 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 doing the right thing on the right path. I want to keep doing this. I'm not I'm not done. Like, I see these young bands coming up, and there's a lot of stuff that I really like, and there's a lot of stuff I don't. Um, but I it, there's I see some hope and some promise for some rock out there, but you know, I still want to crush these fools every night on the stage. I want to be remembered, <laughs> you know, because there's a there's a gazillion bands out there, and uh, you know we're just one of them. But I believe if uh, we still we keep approaching this thing from a from an honest, authentic space and have the passionate conviction to destroy rock and roll shows one at a time, fucking we're gonna be all right. Like it just, I love it, man. I want to keep doing it. Got a lot more in me. Cool. That strange times right now. I mean, yeah. are are you using this time to be creative in any way, writing anything oh, yeah. like that? Every day, man. I got a, I got a, I got my cell phone loaded up with some new songs that the band have been riffing. So I'll go on a run. I'll take that. I'll come up with some melodies, drop them in the voice notes. Um, I just got a little home studio set up, actually, that I'm sitting at right now. Um, and this is, this is a new development for me cause I haven't had a home studio in my house for like the last 10 years. And so I was like, you know, it's time to just kind of get back to the basics of how we were doing it back in the day and just shedding wood up here in the room and just seeing what I can come up with. And so we're going to, there's, there's exciting music coming and we're, we're going actually to, uh, I think in the next week they're starting to lift up some, uh, restraints on the people. And so we're going to be able right. to do some writing together, which will be fucking great. I can't wait to be with my boys and and create some music, especially after being on tour and, and them having to, you know, pull the plug all of a sudden on us. It was like, all right, we got something to say and, and, uh, we're going to say it. And it's, it's, a uh, it's definitely an interesting time though. Yeah. Cool. Look, excellent. Jacoby, this has been great, man. Thanks for your time. Dude, hey, it's a, it's great to see you, man. Great talking to both of you guys.
21st century dyslexic Blue sniffing cyber slurs With homicidal minds and handguns We are insane control let's take our sanity let's take compassion and be responsible for every action hell no Down that 